I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. Queen Elizabeth II, on her 21st birthday, April 21st, 1947. History Podcast, where we set the historical record straight, no matter who it might offend. I'm Paul, and I rarely do any kind of personal reflection on this podcast, even as it relates to history. I have done a few rants, but there really hasn't been anything to rant about lately that falls in the historical category, so I haven't even done that. However, in this episode, I am going to get a little more personal. And it surprises me. And you're going to understand why in just a minute. First, let's get something obvious out of the way at the start. I am not British. I do have English-Scottish ancestry, but my relationship with it's been kind of complicated. My grandfather told me as a young child that our family settled the Georgia colony with Oglethorpe in 1733, which was cool. I learned later that those first settlers were all from English debtors' prisons, which took some of the shine off the accomplishment. Most historians now say that the idea that it was settled completely by people from debtor's prison was a myth, but when even the myths say your ancestors were destitute, it's hard to get too excited about those ancestors. So almost out of self-defense, I've always emphasized the Italian heritage inherited from my first generation non-incarcerated grandmother. I give you that little bit of my family history simply to say that I have no national or ethnic bond it would cause any significant reaction to the recent passing of Queen Elizabeth II other than the sadness that everyone everywhere seemed to feel when they heard the news. On top of that, grief in general is something we don't really do in my family, at least not the wailing, sobbing sort of grief you see in the movies. No, my family's always been a stoic bunch, and when someone dies, we say goodbye, get drunk until the funeral, sharing happy memories of the deceased, make sure a family member throws the first handful of dirt on the coffin, find a cloistered nun or a Franciscan friar to say prayers for the repose of their soul, because God likes the Franciscans more than the Jesuits, and then we get on with life. Psychologists might say we repress our emotions and need therapy. For $150 an hour, I'd say whatever it took to get the quote repressed patient to keep coming back to. I remember crying twice over the death of someone during my 56 years. When that Italian grandmother died as I held her hand in 1991, and when Clarence Clemens died suddenly in 2011. Even when my sister passed in 2018, the grief was tempered both by the relief that she was free from a brutal year-long battle with pancreatic cancer, and the fact that we had a long period in which to say everything that needed to be said. Her telling us at the end that there better be Jameson flowing instead of tears was also a final request we had to honor. I assume the next time I would cry over someone's passing would be if my 81-year-old mother doesn't end up outliving me, which she still probably will. That was until Thursday. When I saw the news of the Queen's passing, I found myself crying over the loss of someone I had never known, never met, never even seen in person. I was sad and honestly was somewhat befuddled as to why I was so sad. 
It was the first time in more than a decade that someone's death had so impacted me. And over the past several days, I've been asking myself what in the world it had in common with those other two times I mentioned. What did a tiny Italian grandmother and a huge black saxophone player have in common with England's longest reigning monarch? Well, the answer is, they were always there, always had been, and I thought they always would be. Bruce Springsteen said that losing Clarence Clemens was like, quote, losing the rain. And that's kind of what it feels like now. Elizabeth had been queen for 14 years when I was born. She was one of the great living icons I inherited. Pope Paul VI, John Wayne, Tom Landry, Steve McQueen. Slowly they all passed on. Yet Queen Elizabeth remained. Decades passed. World leaders came and went. Fads erupted and faded. Yet she remained. She remained after my grandmother. After Clarence. After my sister. She was the very embodiment of stability in a world that seems less stable every day. In her 96 years, she faced more than most of us ever will, and was still there carrying on. The simple fact that she was there, somehow, was a comfort, even if I didn't realize it at the time. There's no one who could come close to replacing that, and I'll miss her. So what does this have to do with history, other than the fact that she was a massive historical figure, which should be enough in itself? Well, I think it has a lot to do with it. More than we even realize. We can recognize historical events pretty easily. The 9-11 attacks were a historical event that we recognized. The COVID outbreak was a historical event that we recognized. And any number of other things are specific events that will be talked about 100 years from now, 200 years from now. What we rarely are able to see at the time is the end of an historical era. And the passing of Queen Elizabeth II is exactly that. An era has ended. And we don't know what it's going to look like going forward for England or for the rest of the world. I do take some comfort in the fact that she was with us for so long and so completely well documented that it's going to be very difficult for anyone anytime soon to try to try to revise any of her history and that's a good thing because she was a model not just for leaders but for all of us it's almost a week since her passing and tributes have come in from all over the world far far more eloquent than I could ever begin to give so all I can really do is paraphrase a Springsteen lyric when they built you ma'am they broke the mold. May she rest in peace. That's today's episode. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode, and I hope you enjoyed it. I want to take a minute to let everyone know about something that I spoke about in an episode. It was pretty much the entire episode a few days ago. So if you're hearing it again, It's actually something I'm going to be talking about for the next few weeks, at least. I receive sponsors on this podcast. It's part of how I'm able to be able to continue to do it because I am a self-employed author and podcaster. Until recently, the requirement to be eligible for sponsorship 
was that you have 100 unique Spotify listeners every 60 days and produce one episode every 60 days. The episodes have not been a problem. Obviously, I put out an episode almost every day. Unique listeners on Spotify, I'm sitting at about 300, 325, I think, as of today. The problem that I'm encountering, I hate to say problem, but it is a problem, is about 80% at least of my listeners are on Apple Podcasts, not on Spotify. And Spotify doesn't count those towards that total. The new total that they recently announced is it has to be a thousand unique listeners every 60 days on the Spotify platform. So I'm asking everyone, I'm pleading with everyone, jump over in the next two weeks and play one episode of the Revisionist History Podcast on the Spotify platform. The cutoff date for eligibility is the 22nd of each month. So I need to hit that thousand number. Now I'm going to keep I'm going to keep doing episodes, but if the sponsorship is removed, it's going to be a lot more difficult for me to continue to do them as often as I do, simply because if there's no revenue coming in, I'll have to switch my efforts over to other things where revenue is coming in. As everybody knows, times are hard right now. I appreciate everybody who's done that already. I appreciate everybody who listens faithfully, and I hope you have a great day.